guess, over the summer uh, that uh, we, we've titled or are calling The Hard Sayings of Jesus. Uh, oh, gosh. The Hard Sayings of Jesus. And so I, I just want to, to focus on four particular passages from, from the gospel. They'll be familiar, but I want, well, I'll let you see, you can kind of perhaps hear in the readings why I've chosen them. So the first one is from John 6. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Matthew 19. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. And Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, Go, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, They were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Luke 5, one day Jesus was teaching, then the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judah and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal those who were ill. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they couldn't find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Luke 4 Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. Let's uh, stand together as we are led in worship by Phil and the band as we love him in song. In depth anymore. That Jesus challenges us to think. Our world, our contemporary world, is, is so, so often uh, defined by what's called a filter bubble. Do you know what that is? 
No. Some do. What's a filter bubble? Basically, um, what newspaper do you take or digital format? Or, or does, it, does most people t- t- read the news, listen to the news? Yes, no. Do you, I'm not going to ask you which are your Daily Mail readers and which are your Guardian readers. We'll have fights or something uh, across the congregation. But do you only ever read those? Because each of those newspapers is edited and it has a viewpoint and it has an agenda. Pro-Brexit, anti-Brexit, pro-Labour, pro-Tory, pro-Brexit party, you know, all those kind of things. But a filter bubble says we only ever read what we like to hear. The people we follow on Twitter, our Facebook friends, the media kind of that is filtered through algorithms. I don't understand it, but apparently it does. That if we like something or click on something or read something, you're more likely to get that again. In other words, it's a viewpoint that confirms and reinforces and begins to think everyone thinks like this because that's the little bubble that we live in. I guess the challenge of newspapers is pick up a guardian. Read that. It might make you go red with fury, but at least it's opening you up to other perspectives. Makes you think. That our culture at the moment likes to reinforce views that are our own. And I think the challenge of Jesus and his hard sayings is that we like to shout more and listen less. Thinking makes time to stop and listen and think. It's to seek to grasp maybe a different point of view, a different agenda, a different way of seeing things. Sometimes in in churches, uh, when people talk about being called and talk about going to Bible college, they say, or theological college, they say, oh, don't do that. It'll undermine your faith. Well, yes, sometimes it does. But part of it is to make those who go to think, to see things that perhaps are seen differently in different places in the world through different eras of history or that that particular environment that you have grown up in and that accepts as normal may not be the only way. Jesus causes us to think. I remember this clearly when I first became a Christian. I was really hostile about uh, about Jesus and the church and, and um, told you a bit of my story in other times. I've not got the time to do that today, but I remember when I, when I did become a Christian, when I kind of accepted that Jesus died and was buried and rose again, and actually the Bible was something to take account of, I thought, well, I better read it, because I'm not going to just take other people's word for it. It was a bit arrogant. I mean, we do take other people's word for it, and we read great pioneers and insights from theologians across the ages. But in my kind of newly kind of believer status, I thought, well, I'm, I'd come across too many Christians who hadn't read it. They were followers of Jesus, but they hadn't even read the New Testament. My friend bought me a Bible and I read it in two weeks. So I thought, well, I mean, that's not, aren't I great? It was like, well, if I'm going to follow this Jesus, I better read it. And then I read the rest of the Bible, I think, in about four months. And then my friends were like, what have you been doing? I said, well, I've been reading it. Why? Because I was saying, if this is what I'm going to follow, this is what I'm going to try to put my life in, then I ought to read it. The challenge is, once I got to the end of the whole thing, I thought, do I start again? <laughs> it's a pool in which 
we continue to abide. And I tell you, from the outset, when I began to follow Jesus, I've had to rethink a lot. Lots of things were really black and white as a 19-year-old. Do you remember those times? Life was simple, wasn't it? The hard sayings of Jesus, they make us think, I hope you're up for that. You see, Jesus isn't a pushover. G.K. Chesterton said this, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. I want you to be sure that as you think, to know that the teachings of Jesus, the hard teachings of Jesus, have been the most appraised and criticized and studied and critiqued and challenged and, uh, and written about in all sorts of cultures and contexts around the world, but have not been found to let in water and be sunk. They are coherent and life-changing and relevant and stand the test. Which is why I think we need to think about them, because they aren't flawed. They're not going to be jettisoned and lost. They're powerful. Jesus calls us to, the, to follow him, to listen to him, learn for him, not just as simple things. When I say difficult, uh, they're not, I don't mean that by um, uh, kind of uh, really tough and like screw our face up, although sometimes that may happen. But I, I, they're difficult because they're not easy. What do I mean? Read Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor, for they shall inherit the kingdom, uh, they shall inherit the earth. I mean, that's hard. We look at the world, all the evidence seems to point in a contrary direction. It's not the poor who inherit, is it? We use tax uh, kind of systems to inherit more for those who have got a lot to pass on more. The, The poor don't seem to get it. I think at five billionaires, I, I, this is slightly um, out of the top of my head, so probably not accurate, but something, any of five billionaires own more than something like 90% of the world's poor. Not just the five richest billionaires. Isn't that astonishing? Blessed are the poor, for they have shall inherit the earth. You have to think about that. The sayings of Jesus are hard, perhaps for two reasons. They're culturally difficult sometimes. But as we read the stories of Jesus, and there are other hard sayings in the Bible which uh, we're not going to be covering unless you really want us to. Tell us on the door. What's a hard saying? What's the bit of the Bible you'd really like us to, to, to focus on? But there's so much of, of, of the, the Bible that is culturally, um, that, that Jesus lives in the first century. I mean, he dated it, you know, it's around his birth, but we now date it first century. And he lived uh, in the far end of the Mediterranean, in Israel, in the first century. And they had customs and language and ways of doing things which aren't 21st century. They didn't have cars. Obvious. They had donkeys. They crop up from time to time. They walked on foot. uh, They were under oppression from uh, a kind of uh, an army, from a, a regime, the Romans. 
So when Jesus says, you know, uh, turn the other cheek and go the extra mile if you're asked, there's a cultural context which was specific about, uh, about living under oppression with the Romans. Knowing that helps us to begin to understand what Jesus is saying. Not knowing that makes it harder to understand. Some things that are hard about Jesus' sayings are because they're from the culture and the time which aren't our culture and time. And we have to understand that in order to grasp hold of it. That makes us think. But also, uh, they're hard, and perhaps this is perhaps where the nub is uh, easily avoided but takes most challenge. They're hard because they're easily understood, but they're challenging to do. It's not that they're obscure because of culture and time. It's because we know full well what the impact of them is. And it's not easy to do. It's difficult. We sometimes want to wiggle out of them. Mark Twain, that great writer, thinker, said, it's not the things in the Bible that I I don't understand that bother me, but the ones that I do. Pray for your enemies. Forgive those who wrong you. Hard sayings. They're hard because they make us think And they're hard because they ask us to change. We have to face up to the fact that when we get to know Jesus and he calls us to follow him, he wants us to follow him. Why? Because his way is truthful and good and full and how we were made to be, to walk in step, Emily last week talked about being like this with Jesus. And to be like this with Jesus means to get to know Jesus. And to be like this with Jesus in our life means that, that we're going to learn from him. And some of these things are going to be hard and challenging and get to the heart of our attitudes and motives and cause us to recognize that there are things about who we are and our upbringing, there are things about our culture and the way our world does things that are contrary to the ways of the kingdom of God. And it's hard because we are faced then with a choice. Stay with him or say, Jesus, you were first century and this just seems too difficult. And I'll put a distance. I'm happier without you than with you. Perhaps that's hard to hear. But Jesus says, come follow. We have to admit the truth at the outset that the teaching of Jesus is difficult and sometimes unacceptable because it runs counter to those elements in our human nature. My human nature is to prioritize myself. It really is. To be prideful. To get anxious, to think, what, what are people thinking right now about the message I'm bringing? Will they like me still? And Jesus kind of goes into that. Who do you trust? Who do you love more? We have to accept that it runs counter to those elements in our human nature. We're all in the same boat. We're all flawed and broken and marred and mixed up. Jesus doesn't want to leave us like that. For there are elements in our human nature which the 21st 
century has differences with Jesus' culture, but also a great deal in common with the first century. And these statements of Jesus that are hard go right to the heart of greed and self-centeredness and attitudes and prejudices and desires for revenge. Am I alone? Will I be accepted? Does my life matter? I hope you enjoy the hard sayings of Jesus. But I hope they make you think. And I hope that thinking leads to self-reflection. And I trust that that self-reflection will lead to decisions to say yes to Jesus. See, uh, when I was a 19-year-old, my personal conviction was this. And it still sits with me. And I was talking about it with someone just recently. Before I, I jumped in, before... I started the Christian journey. I came to this awareness that, that this Jesus who I was trying to, to disregard and undermine and reject, this Jesus, how did, how did I account for what happened to him? For me, this is kind of my, part of the bedrock of my faith. Do I believe that he died on the cross? Do I believe that he was buried in a tomb? Do I believe that that tomb was empty a few days later? How do I account for that? And here was the real nub of it, because I knew that if that is true, everything is different. Everything is different. What Jesus taught, how he lived, the example that he got, what he declared about who we are and who God is and and the destination of our world, everything is different. And as such, I cannot just say, oh, that's nice, the tomb was empty. Yeah, he rose and carry on regardless. If he has come back, if he is alive, if he is living and reigning and ruling, it makes every difference. And I cannot just ignore that and avert my attention and carry on regardless. That's my conviction. And I believe it to be the scripture's conviction. And the outcome of men and women need to grasp that. And so I will follow you, Jesus. And I will learn and ask you to fill us and shape us and use us as radical people like you were, inspired by your teaching and your ways, and not be complacent to just go with the flow. Amen. Amen. Phil, you're going to lead us in a closing song.